Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So today I'm really excited. We've got someone very important and also a new friend on the Supersonic Podcast today. And that is Alice Woodark, who is Managing Director at RA Group or Restaurant Associates, as some of you may know them, and that's part of the larger Compass Group. Alice has had an amazing rise to the top and is really one of the strongest leaders in the hospitality industry. Looking at that catering type of sector and the contract catering side of things, it's something we don't stray too much into in the podcast, so I'm really delighted to hear about Alice's world, Alice's vertical within our great hospitality industry, what life is like for her now, and what it's like for the company, and actually, if the future is going to be hopefully as bright as it can be, what does that hold for Alice and RE Group? I think you'll really enjoy the episode. I got an awful lot out of it, and if you can, please check out Alice's web series on YouTube under the RE Group banner, which talks to all of the many verticals across hospitality about life at the moment, how things are going, and how we can help each other make the hospitality industry a success again. So it gives me the most exceptional customer experience pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who's a new friend to the show, and thanks to Mimo and Hannah for introducing us. And it's the very, very accomplished and experienced Alice Woodark, who is MD at RA Group. Hello, Alice. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm all right. Not too bad. I'm sweltering in this wee room uh, that I record in um, because you have to have all the windows closed and no fans on and all that stuff. So I'm roasting. <laughs> I'm the reverse because it's it's miserable here up in Lincolnshire. So if you could, yeah, send the heat away, that would be great. <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do my best. So I um obviously we haven't met before, um, but hopefully there's more chances to catch up in person once everything's back to normal. Um but I was just thinking about life at the moment, you know, what you've seen, you know, since the, the start of COVID and the lockdown and what effect it's had on on you and the business and you know what what you're working on right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of what I've seen will be, I guess, similar to kind of um, conversations you've had with others. It's obviously, it, it's pretty much temporarily maybe, but it's changed everything. Um, and we have very little happening in our business right now in terms of actually serving food and drink to people. Um, so we work in offices and also in uh, in leisure venues and we have one leisure venue um heaver castle which opened uh about a week ago which is brilliant so well done heaver for getting us going and a small number of folks in offices but other than that not much um and and pondering pondering the future really um someone very wise said to me a few weeks ago that, that there's a couple of ways of thinking about this but you either look at it and go okay, huge amount has changed. How are you going to respond to that? Or you can also look at it and go, okay, stuff has changed. What can you accelerate and speed up that you wanted to do anyway? So what are the things that were always the right idea, but now you should just do them faster and more aggressively? And I really like that way of thinking about it. So quite a lot of my time at the moment is spent thinking about what do I speed up? What do I do now that otherwise it might have taken me a year to get there, but actually give it a few weeks and I could have, you know, a whole new way of doing things. So yeah, that's the kind of the stuff that we're focused on that I'm focusing on right now. I think that's really sensible. And I, I think, you know, I'd, I'd been talking about for quite a while, making your, your downtime uptime. And as you say, you know, getting under the bonnet of things and saying, right, what, what do I want to 
you know, put my foot in the gas on, you know, indeed if you can afford to keep going and, you know, and the business will keep going and, and you're not just in horrible, you know, situations that are like sales, you know, selling or restructuring or anything like that. But, you know, if you've got the bandwidth to, to go ahead and do it, I mean, that sounds like amazing advice, Um, you know, to, to and also control what you can control. Yeah. As well. There's an awful lot of people that bury themselves in stuff that, you know, they can shout at the ref all they like, but they're still given a penalty, you know. There's, there's not much you can do. No, absolutely. Um, and I, so, I know a lot of the folks that you're talking to, I mean, less me, actually, because um, I belong to something called Compass, which is a great big old organisation, but we work with a lot of startups. And I had a bit of an online conversation with some of our startup um, partners a few weeks ago. Um, again, one of them said something so sensible, which was so positive, which was, if you think about it, what's just happened is, all the cards have just been thrown up in the air and it's anyone's guess as to how they're going to land. But every time that happens, that creates a bunch of new opportunities. So um, he was saying, if I were you, think about it in that mindset. And I really like the positivity of that, just saying, this is fresh. This is, you know, it's like kind of the beach after a storm, isn't it? It's, there's an opportunity, not to say that I'd want to be here, but there's an opportunity in it if we find it. Yeah, and I, I think just on the acceleration point as well, and I'm really glad about this because I've I've harped on about it for ages, is like just operating within four walls isn't, you know, always the best strategy. So how can you have many, many grapple hooks on that mountain face? So if one revenue goes down, you know, then looking at e-commerce or delivery or takeaway or um, you know, maybe even as, you know, private services like chefing or, you know, there's so many exciting things that people can do. And it's been so heartening to see. I mean, even locally here, the pub at the end of the road, we micro pub. And within seconds, they had a, a website up called deliverbrew.co. They took the, the cheeky URL and, um, and promoted that. And now they're reporting, I think they've got two thirds of what they'd usually make through people supporting the business through getting deliveries. Yeah, the innovation that this is pushing through is, is really good to see from so many different places, actually. So uh, there is there is that to hold on to in all the madness. Definitely. Well, I, I heard a good one this morning, Alex from Loungers, uh, and he said that Perspex is the new saffron, <laughs> you know, just in, in terms of value, you know. Uh, so it, it is, it's going to be scary and... Man, if if you were an app company, uh, a face mask company, a Perspex company, or a hand wash company, you're going to be a billionaire. This is your time. <laughs> well, we um of the the many hallowed clients that we've got, one of them uh, is the maker of Dettol. So um so we're hoping ah. to see us right. I think they're busier than ever. Very good. Yeah, just don't drink it, right? No, Not, well, <laughs> only in small quantities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, Mister Trump for that. Um, so. <laughs> If, if we if we go back then, um, just before we go into your background, which is really exciting to talk about, RA Group, um, just for anyone that doesn't know, could you mind just chatting a wee bit about that and, and, the, and the space and sector that you're in? Yeah, totally. RA Group is, is all about lovely hospitality in lots of different environments, but not environments that we own. So um, you won't see RA Group above the door anywhere. Um, we work uh, with clients whose brands we are promoting through hospitality, so through food and drink and, and guest services. Um, the work that we do is in, a lot of it is in workplaces and a lot of it is in uh, leisure venues. And then we've also got small number of restaurants that we run in collaboration with chefs. So we run City Social with Jason Atherton, and we run Rue at Parliament Square with Michelle Rue. Um, and we run um, Brim Williams at Somerset House, not surprisingly, with Brim Williams. Um, so that's kind of stuff that we, the stuff that we do. Um, RA Group, what started as Restaurant Associates, um, started, oh my goodness, um, three or more decades ago out in New York. Um, there was a law firm, I think it was, that went out to its local restaurant and said, we don't have any good food in our office, but we really like coming to your restaurant and we figure we're spending way too much money at retail prices in your restaurant. So would you just come and do our office catering? 
And this was back in 1970 something. And they said yes. And so that's where we were born. Um, and then over in the UK, similar story. Uh, the Rue family um, were approached to start doing some more stuff in sort of office environments. Um, and that became a, a partnership with a catering company, um, which became part of Compass over time. And at some point, somebody bright realized that you'd had the same story happening on both sides of the Atlantic. And so they linked up the New York version of Restaurant Associates and the London version. And we still to this day have Restaurant Associates in New York and Restaurant Associates in London. And we still have that ethos of we're working in your home and we adopt your brand, whoever the client is, and your ethos. But to that, we will bring exceptional hospitality, exceptional service, beautiful smiles and beautiful food. Um, and that's still what we do a few decades later. So yeah, it's got a long history and it's it's lovely that some of the founding partners in terms of the chefs that we work with, we're still working with them today, especially the Rue family. It sounds really exciting just from the point of view that you've kind of overachieved in, in a way in sense of taking that absolute top-notch food and bringing that into the workplace. And that must have a halo effect you know, because of the story so strong, that's a, a beautiful thing to have. And even if you are doing a coffee bar or a, you know, it really sets the level of expectation quite high, which is a, a great place to be. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think it, it helps us in terms of who we are and how we come across. But it also, I think most importantly, from my perspective, it it really widens everyone's horizons in terms of the colleagues that we work with. So all of our chefs and our baristas and our managers, you know, if you look, if you look right, you know, to the, to the, to, to the far reaches of our organization, it, you know, it doesn't top out until you get to Albert Roux. And that's a, that's a really exciting organization to be part of. And, and you're right. That philosophy goes right through to, every flat white, um, you know, every kind of um, hydration station or whatever it is, you've got mm -hmm. to, to look to sort of setting an example. I think one of the things that it does bring, of course, is you start thinking about, well, how do you, how do you reinvent that in ways that are right for now? Because although the philosophy I still think is phenomenal, what it's not necessarily anymore, of course, is, you know, executive dining rooms and all of this kind of exclusive stuff that's going. So I think one of the things that we work really hard at is you, you've got to keep the ethos, you've got to keep the philosophy, but not in a way that shuts people out. That's, that's not what, you know, what we're about or what hospitality is about in 2020. It is quite difficult when you think about, you, there's that balance, I suppose, which is amazing quality, but then within an environment that you you know, potentially don't own. Also, if someone's maybe even having it back at their desk, and you know, how how do you still not take the shine off something that's amazing? You know, and 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 get people to just really connect and enjoy the things that you're serving up. But it sometimes it will just be fuel for them, you know, to get them through their day. Yeah, I, and and I, I think um, uh, Chef David, who's our our executive chef for 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 the group, um, has this great this great set of terms that he brings to this and he's his way of putting it is he says it doesn't matter what it is even if it's your humble cheese toasty but it's got to be authentic it's got to be credible and it's got to be consistent and if you achieve those three things you know whether it's cheese toasty or a flapjack or um you know a beautiful tartatan whatever it is if you can be authentic credible and consistent then you'll succeed in doing that. And, you know, you'll bring that moment of joy that is what fine dining should be about, even though it's a cheese turkey. Yeah. And I really like that. I'm I'm very far from being a chef, but that that gets to me. And I think, yeah, that's right. That's, that's quality. Great. Hey, I'm Andrew, the lead designer on Toggle, a platform for managing your whole gift card side of the business. Built from the ground up, Toggle is born from listening to the people who need it. It's really simple to use, but able to handle all of the things that we know are important. Integrated with the tills, mega robust reporting, smart promotions, limiting dates of redemptions and selling experiences. A bit of a marketer's dream, as well as handling fulfillment and basic gift cards with style. Find out more and create an account at usetoggle.com. 
And then just going back then, if we if we go back to you and how you ended up here, your your X Factor journey, um, you know, how how did that all come about then? You know, was there an interest in food early on or was it the business side or you know, what what was your path through? For me it was it was the people side. Um the food is a is a lovely piece. It, but it's not where I was aiming. As I'm still, still sort of, a, I'm still more a, a people person. I started out as a um, as a consultant for one of the big consulting companies, kind of the the, the kind that uh, allegedly borrows your watch and tells you your time, the time. And I found myself doing more <laughs> um, big people organisations. I did a lot, for example, for Royal Mail, huge number of people all over the shop, all trying to do the right thing. But it's really complicated. Um, and I love working for organizations that got lots of people and it's all really a front of house, you know, and, and face and sort of consumer facing. Um, and I fell out of love for it for a bit, went over to um, Diageo and did marketing with Diageo for a couple of years, which I utterly, utterly loved. And I love Diageo. And I, I think the marketing education I got there was just great. Second to none, oh you gosh. know. Working in someone like Diageo and getting your, your marketing stripes, that's amazing. I was. And so I ended up um, uh, teaching the Diageo way of brand building, which uh, I'm, <laughs> which uh, still, I imagine, exists in some form or another. Mm. And I work for the Guinness brand team, which is, I think is probably the best job in marketing. So I, once I'd done that, I kind of uh, reached the top um, and <laughs> decided that, I wanted to do something slightly different. I, there was the the lady who was running um, marketing at Diageo. Actually, I think she just retired. Syl Sala. Um, she, mm-hmm. she sort of cornered me and said, "Right, you've got to work out: Are you going to stay or are you not going to stay?" And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to stay. I love this marketing business, but it's not quite enough. Um, I, I like the kind of I like the peopley bit. I like the bit where you're thinking, actually, yeah, I'm creating a world in which there's a really good company in which a load of people can come and have happy careers where they feel like they're being constructive and they're valued and they have a nice time and there wasn't quite enough of that in my job well I I think I think you're right with marketing you know it's deeply shallow (laughs) (laughs) and full of full of of deeply shallow people like me Um, and then I, I think I think what's cute and what's nice is like so much of what you're saying about the people part, so much of that should be linked with brand anyway. So it's probably been quite a nice thing for you to have been both sides of the fence. Well, I think we've got better at it, haven't we, in the last 10 years? I mean, people have realised that you can't Mm. project yourself to the outside world as this shiny company and not expect that people are going to know what your employees say about you on Glassdoor or wherever it is or the culture that you create. So I think, I mean, you know, as Diageo for me was what, oh God knows, best part of 20 years ago. And I don't think we separate the front from the back in the way that we used to. And I think that's a good thing. So being part of a company now where, you know, we have the brand and the front facing and the who we are, but that's intrinsically linked to how we treat our people and uh, you know what opportunities we offer. And it, that seems completely obvious that we would be that way. But yeah, you're right. If I think about it, I think back in the early noughties, we, we weren't doing as much of that. Nowhere near as much. Yeah. And then from Diageo then, I mean, what, what did you take? I don't mean physically stolen, but, you know, lessons learned and, and that kind of thing. You know, what, what <laughs> when, when you came out of there, what was in your toolkit? Well, I got a lot of T-shirts, which I do still have, <laughs> for occasionally for running it and a lot of um a lot of travel bags you get lots of <laughs> guinness travel bags for some reason um yeah th- their approach to thinking about what a brand means will definitely always stay with me um that absolutely was there and then also something about what it's like to work with people who are truly creative in the genuine sense of the words i mean i'm i'm not i'm I'm a bit of a jack of all trades and I, I, it's, yeah, it's the kind of thinking about how an organization fits together and how to help it and, and help it do better. That's what excites me. But I'm not, I'm not an original thinker in a way that some of the people definitely at the agencies and at Diageo were. And then, you know what, when I started working in food, there was this moment when I went, my goodness, 
Now I understand. Well, I have my own way of working with chefs. Chefs are basically like agency creatives. Like, have mm-hmm. this skill set that is out of this world, and they have a different set of their five senses are not the same five senses that I've got. They're on a different planet. But you've got to give them a context for those skills to flourish. You can't expect that they're going to be able to do everything that fits around that necessarily in terms of the HR and the finances and the this and the that. And so actually, the other thing that I use a lot at the moment that really started with Diageo was thinking, you are in a creative industry and you should think about it that way with original talents that should be treated like original talents. So yeah, that's definitely something that stuck with me. That's a smart move, you know, and I I think um, when you're, it's just, it's how you can, you know, well, there's a great phrase, which is I'd rather um, tame a wild horse than flog a dead one. And (laughs) it's a little bit like that, you know, which is just try and give them some kind of, you know, framework, but then as much freedom within that framework as possible. And you'll just get the best out of people. And I, I think that's a, smart thing because you know some of the businesses that I've worked with over the years have got extremely talented you know food development people and, and chefs and all that and yeah they, they just hamper them down it's kind of like today we've had a guy around fixing our oven but I left them to it there's no point in me sitting over his shoulder going I wouldn't do that mate or you know no, that kind of thing but there's it's so common no it's so I, common I agree yeah yeah, I, I, and I learned my place on that one. And I love working with people who have talents that I don't have. Like, um, oh my gosh, like coffee, like working with baristas and with our, our head of coffee, Sonia, is just incredible because she's got a skill set and a nose and a, a fixation with the beauty of coffee and that coffee culture as a way of bringing people together that I just, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of, quite frankly. So I, I don't want to kind of um, imitate it um, and I don't want to um, lasso it, but I do want to create an environment in which, you know, those skills can can really affect other people in the most positive way. So, yeah, I've, I've learned my place. Well, it sounds like you've got an interesting job, though, where you can dip in and out. You know, you're not just kind of restrained to one thing. You know, you can look at, all the client stuff and the exciting side of things there. You've got the people bit, you've got the the food, you've got the coffee. So, you you know, you, it's quite good. You've got quite the sandpit, <laughs> you know, to play in. Sounds I, quite exciting. I, I love I, I love my job. I love the the fact that you do get to do a bit of everything. And, you know, I'd, I'd really love to, like, encourage people to think more about just, I mean, management sounds so bloody boring, doesn't it? Like, I mean, who wants, who would want to be a manager, for goodness sake? It's such an awful word. I think we do bad by ourselves by describing it as that. But I don't know what the, I don't know what, maybe if we called ourselves captains or something, it would sound more exciting. But it just... <laughs> There's a sense of it being what? a real team game that I, I think is is so exciting and interesting. I mean, I, I never have a boring day. Well, I think, um, you know, just sort of going back to then, how did you get into RE Group then? What what was the, the jumps between there and Diageo? Was it, was that straight, sorry, or was it? No, it wasn't. I went, I went, I, I went after Diageo. I went back into consulting, actually, for quite some time and um, cranked out three children, um, and it was a good environment to do that and good sense stable employment but then I thought I'm I, I, I want to be I want to be like running my own team or well, not running that's the wrong word I want to be supporting my own team like kind of out there I've spent enough time waggling my biro at other people and saying how they should do things can I actually do this for myself um, mm-hmm. and, and then compass came along and compass has compass has I mean at, at the time it had across the world when I joined them about six years ago uh um, 500,000 people working for them. They now got 600,000. And I thought, well, bloody hell, I mean, that's a lot of people. You know, if you, if you, if you say you like working for people-centric organizations, you can't get better than that. Um, and that's what attracted me. And I, so I've been at Compass for the last um, uh, six years. And two years ago, they were kind enough as to let me go into this, um, this, this job of mine supporting RA group and I have been there ever since so so yeah it was it was a it was I found the biggest people organization that I possibly could and this was what it was and what did you find when you got there you know what sort of state was it in was it in rude health or did it need a bit of a reboot or what was going on when you came in it was in health 
And also in a place where a lot was changing around it and needing to find its feet, I guess, for a different age and a different stage. So it's, RA has this, like, you know, we were talking about, it has this really rich heritage. It goes back and it's it's a really, it, it, culturally, it's really strong. And the people who work with RA Group love it fiercely. And I, I think that's probably been the case for a very long time. And it's a lovely, it's a really lovely environment to join. And actually, you get a huge sense of responsibility. You think, bloody hell, I mean, I've really got to look after this thing. Then at the same time, there's a lot happening out in the world that perhaps is is new and pushing us in different directions. So you've got massive amount of digital innovation that's going on and what's our role in that. And then like we were talking about, you know, the people agenda has actually changed. So we've started doing things like, you know, helping to create our own apprenticeship programs and things and, and just moving things on. So I'd say it comes from a really strong place, but is definitely in a place where, it, you know, there's a need to move on and to grasp all of the new opportunities that hospitality presents. So, you know, how do we get that mindset of a startup without actually being one? Hi, I'm Alex from Engage and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from Shri, our head of SEO. Search is ever-changing. You can be top of the rankings one day and in the proverbial graveyard the next. One tactic that can have big results is updating your best-performing informational content and blog posts so they continue to rank highly. People are always searching for things in new and creative ways, which can make the great content you published six months ago fairly out of date unless you keep making sure it remains relevant to what your customers are looking for. To get started, first find out which pages get the most organic visits from your Google Analytics. Then, for each page, perform your own Google search on its main search keywords. Look for the People Also Ask section on the results page. Are you answering the questions on your page? If not, add them in. Scroll down to the bottom of the Google results and see what related searches are worth mentioning in your content. This is also a great place to get ideas for additional content too. As a bonus, do you see a featured snippet at the top of the Google results? This is where Google shows an excerpt of a website's content, usually answering the search in a succinct way. If one exists, make sure you structure your page in a similar way to the snippet so your content has the opportunity to be shown instead. These few tweaks to your content should start seeing you earn more traffic from Google in a matter of days. If you need any more help getting your site at the search rankings, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with their own digital marketing strategies. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Just thinking about your ultimate role in life, I suppose we've touched on it already, which is you make people happy, you know, so obviously you're making strides to make your own team happy and all that, but you're making people in their workplace happier by, you know, providing hospitality for them and great food and experience mm-hmm. and that all that stuff. So what's your sort of playbook on that and, and your approach? So you go in to see a client at, I don't know, L'Oreal or Honda or whatever it is, I don't know, but you go in and what what what's your sort of steps towards trying to, you know, win that business in there and then how do you keep things going and keep things fresh after that? Yeah, really good question. And you're right. I think it is absolutely about that. It is about it is about keeping people happy. And I, I think there's there's a couple of things in there that you've we've really got to get right. One is the the skills and the attitude that our people have when when they're serving people on site. So hospitality, I think, makes people happy partly through the five senses and you know what you're eating, what you're drinking, but also I think a massive part of it is is the human environment that you're in, is the smile that you get, um, is the you know the, the 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 service that you get, the smartness of it, the fact that you know you only lo- notice it when it's exceptionally lovely. Um, all of those things. So putting in a real emphasis on training people, supporting people to have that, have that skill set. And also to be honest, to turn up themselves every day and want to have that smile and, and to really mean it. That's a really key part of what we do. And keeping that fresh um, is a huge part of what we do. I think you're right. It's keeping people happy, but the definition of keeping people happy is changing over time. Like, you know, way back when, 
keeping people happy was a, was a, a, you know, a square meal for a shilling or whatever it was and, and, and having that easily accessible. And then it turned into a much nicer square meal and, and treats and all of that kind of stuff. And now it's turned into looking after people's wellness and thinking about nutrition and balance and energy but not in a way where everyone just has to eat kale the whole time, because honestly, that doesn't make people happy. So I think it, uh, the work that we do at the center, a lot of it is thinking about what's people's version of being happy today, because it's not just about, you know, as, as many chocolate bars as possible. That's not great. It's not just about a good hearty meal, but it's also not just about your five a day and a calorie control, la di da, because that doesn't make people happy on its own. Um, so that's the other part that we spend a lot of time thinking about. And, and I think that's the, that's the idea that we bring to our clients. And do the clients let you make your own brands, for example, or have you got a set amount of brands or do you need to just do it under, you know, some kind of white label vanilla get food here? You know, how, how does that work? We don't, um, we we do very little that's um that's centrally branded. A lot, of, almost all of it takes our client brand or a version of it. Or we'll come with a concept and then we will put it in their livery. It's one of the most important things we do. I think is that if you're um in a micro kitchen in Google or if you are at Leeds Castle, um you want to feel like you're in Google or you want to feel like you're in Leeds Castle, and that's the experience that you're looking for. So actually. We're more like the we're more like the hidden wiring. We're not the in-your-face brand. We might well have influenced that brand and think about the cues and what it says about wellness, what it says about care, but you wouldn't notice it as ours, and that's quite deliberate. Yeah, because it was just quite interesting. Something years ago, I worked with um, one of your competitors, but we were like the other way. It was like you were creating brands for the the the, sort of the workers because they almost wanted high street looking brands in their workplace because otherwise they were going to go out into the high street. So that's a real challenge as well, is it not, in terms of retention of customers and, and driving business. And what we also found on that project was, uh, weirdly, the landlords weren't really that, or the, you know, I mean the the actual building you were in or whatever, they weren't actually that keen on you marketing as such to the colleagues or the employees to drive business. <laughs> it was such a weird kind of inception world. Yeah, it was hard. So how, how do you sort of combat that? Because I guess you would want ultimately every single employee to eat with you, you know, three times a day or, mm. you know, variations on. That, I mean, that would be max capacity, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, one would hope. <laughs> Um, I, um, I I think the, the marketing thing, I think it's been a bit of a um, a battleground for years. And I wonder whether digital will actually make it a bit easier because, um, you know, we're not talking, are we, about kind of BA2 posters in lifts and stuff. That's all gone is, is in the process of going. It's much more smart screens and then to what what's the app that people are carrying and what's that guiding you towards and how does that support you so I do wonder whether the marketing battle on site is is actually going to get a bit easier when it's less about posters in the foyer which which has always been a bit controversial I mean on the high on that street brands I'd be really interested in your view on this actually because this is you know this is your area of expertise but I'd I'd go on out, out on a bit of a limb and say I'm not sure that what we're in the business of is aping really authentic high street brands. I mean, yes, we do authentic, lovely food, but it's not, I don't want to be pretend, pretending to be an almost as good version of Noosa or whoever that brand is. I, 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 I'd rather work with the brands themselves. And I don't see why we shouldn't be doing that. It's a lot in partnership with other organizations, particularly small ones. And a lot of the most authentic high street brands are really individual and exciting companies in their own right I don't feel the need to imitate that I think there's there's room to to bring people into corporate spaces and work with them and I think consumers can smell a rat I think there's a difference between sometimes 
you know, you could, I'm not saying, you know, I, that it always needs to be that kind of edgy high street brand, but when it is, why don't we just make it authentically that brand? Just bring them in and give them the opportunity. I, I think I'd rather be on that side of it. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, I think there's the, the, there's the three ways almost as we're saying, which is, well, it's four. Debranded completely, branded like whoever the host is, um, aping, as you say, and then, you know, actually just having the person in. So from that perspective, I think the the aping side of things, you have to sort of mean it, man, in the Sex pistol sense, you know? Like, you're either going to do it really, really well or not. And I, I think it's, it's a hard thing because you need to put extra investment into that brand. You would need to then try and get it to be recognised and loved. And, you know, it, it's quite a hard, a, a hard ask. But I remember when I was a kid, I worked at IBM for my year out. And uh, that was all debranded there. You know, it was just basically, you know, fishing a Friday and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. But they, they made the move to actually implant uh, Burger King, Pizza Hut, and there was something else. And, uh, oh, man, you, you would have thought, like, they were giving out, you know, $3 million. <laughs> things that they can, you know? So I think... If, if, if someone's got that brand love, you know, like for example, if you just decided to put a pret in, um, then you know that probably is the the better way than than or easier way than than trying to, you know, sort of brand something up um, as something else. But it, it, it is quite a challenge. But I mean, the thing I was quite excited about to get past, you know, Dennis or Doris or whatever at the front desk or the facilities manager was you know, the, the digital marketing side of things, as you say, because in terms of being able to target now just on employer or job or, you know, one kilometre out from where the place is or, you know, yep. all the different custom audience and criteria, it's shooting fish in a barrel, you know, which is really exciting. But the times when I was talking about it to, to you know, the sort of competitors, I suppose, of, of yours, um, it was uh, it was a lot more difficult at that point. It was like real covert operations to try and you know get someone interested to not walk out the door and go across the road. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. It was it was really tough. There's there's quite a lot in it because you're you're working doubly hard to be better than what's outside the four walls, and also people sometimes just want to go outside, don't they? They do. So you're combating as well you know it's very difficult well it is but i mean like back to like what we're saying about kind of the current environment might just speed some stuff up um i think now we definitely are in a world where we cannot assume we've got people want in the office spaces five times a week it's not going to happen because they're going to be at home looking after the kids for one or two days a week so i think maybe it just pushes us to think in a more radical way about how do we ensure that we're relevant to to our consumers in different environments. And maybe, for example, we can help them with their well-being even when they're not in the office. Um, and digital makes that so much more possible. So I, I agree with you. It kind of it, 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 we are moving to a place where it's kind of it's easier to get people's attention. But I think we're also going to have to be happy in a world in which we're not desperately trying to get people to eat with us five days a week because they're not even going to be there to do that. So, you know, quite frankly, we should find other ways of making ourselves valuable in addition to selling them stuff. Be interesting. And also, you know, could it be that then there is, I don't know, take-home kits or, you know, all this kind of stuff? It's going to be, it's really interesting. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. People physically aren't going to be there. Yeah, take-home kits, yeah. wellness and, when you're at home, the menu stuff. The Yeah, I, I think there's a whole world there that's just like pops into life. And we knew it was coming. We, we didn't know it was coming this fast. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, 
Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bar's business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you. What do you think the changes will, will be longer term then? You know, or... or even in, in next year and stuff, you know, what what are you planning for and, and what are you putting your mind to? Well, I don't think that we're going to go back to working patterns. So a lot of, a lot of my clients are white collar. It's kind of, you know, people who work in banks and insurance companies and lawyers and that stuff. I don't think those working patterns are going to go back to what they were before, not at the end of the year, not next year, because um, we've got better at doing this, haven't we, this kind of remote stuff. And that's, that's not going to go away. Um, but I also think that offices as places where people come together will definitely be part of the future. And, you know, there's, there's some interesting stuff out there. Um, there was something published a couple of weeks ago by, oh, who was it? Uh, British Council for Offices, which I never knew was a thing, but it sounds brilliant. The British Council okay. went, out, went out and did this survey um, asking people how they wanted to be working in future. And, th- and they did this a few weeks ago. So it was, you know, during the lockdown thing. And the majority of people said that they wanted to be at, spend at least some part of their time back in an office environment if that's what they were used to. I think there's something very human about coming together and spending time with each other face-to-face. So I think that will come back, but I do not think it will come back in the way that we're used to. I think people will be more flexible. So we're definitely planning for a future in which we shouldn't bank on people being in the office for four and a half days a week, that there will be some potentially very quiet days and some quite busy days. And so we're going to have to be more flexible and have quite a bigger operation one day. And maybe the next day it's just coffees because that's the dynamic of the office that we're working in. So flexibility is definitely one thing. Um, and then the, the whole wellness thing, that is going to get, I mean, I'm, I reckon that's it's going to be getting bigger, not smaller. Uh, the, obviously, the, the world we're in now, there's a lot of talk about immunity and, and how what you're eating can actually, you know, help your, um, help your immune levels. But I just think in general, the wellness agenda is going to get a whole lot more sophisticated over the months to come. Um, you know, on allergens, we've got Natasha's law coming in next year. That's going to mean people are going to be much more able to um, control what they're eating from a nutrition perspective. And so I think that's something that's really going to to stay with us. And um, and I think the sustainability agenda, quite rightly, is going to be just as strong in the months and years to come. And I reckon it's going to get I reckon it's going to get stronger. And, and we have to demonstrate that if you're going to be out and eating and drinking, then we're a great place to do that. A, you know, a, a good, responsible, thoughtful place to do that, whatever brand we're carrying. So, so yeah, if I put those three together, kind of loads of flexibility, loads of wellness and, and a real kind of just proper innovation on, on sustainability. I think that those are going to be the big themes. No, I think you're right. I mean, sustainability is quite an interesting one. Um, in that, just for this short period, it's almost like going back to the Maslow stuff and all that. Yeah, it's slightly taken a back seat as people have just went. I'm I'm back to shelter and eating and health, and I'm way back down again. Um, you know, and I noticed that you know just in terms of the amount of you know recycling that's going out. But I did see a funny tweet the other day, and the guy's like a, a seasoned restaurateur, and he just he stuck it out, and he goes. Uh, do you remember <laughs> three months ago, people would go crazy about a plastic straw, <laughs> you know? And he was a bit like, oh, I, wish, I wish we were back at those days. You know, it's like seeing those tweets are like, remember Brexit? That was, that was all right, that. I know, yeah. Maybe it will push us, though, to do some stuff that we hadn't quite got round to before. Because, I, you know, they take like coffee. Oh. 
or reusable lunch trays, that kind of thing. Like we got to a point where disposable coffee cups were definitely coming out of our business. You know, we, as you say, yeah. reacting with horror to stirrers and straws and quite rightly too, all of that stuff are gone. And suddenly now we're looking like at least temporarily, we're going to be back in the world of wrapped cutlery and stuff. I mean, yeah, which is, which isn't ideal yeah. sustainability perspective, but there's some really cool schemes out there like um, reusable lunch boxes where you can, you can go down to the restaurant and pick up like a, a little, you know, basically like a kind of uh, a Tupperware lunchbox, like the one that you bring from home, but you use it in the office and then you'd dump it afterwards to get taken away and cleaned. And it might be on a kind of like a, you know, a milk bottle return scheme or something. And you can do the same for coffee cups. There's some brilliant coffee cup reuse schemes out there. And it had always been quite hard to not, well, sell them in, maybe that is the word. It's been quite hard to sell them into clients because You've got an upfront cost and all the rest of it. And maybe all of this stuff might push us over the edge and just get us taking some of those schemes a bit more seriously. And I'd love to see that happen um, because I don't think people are going to yeah. be happy going completely back to disposable coffee cups and stuff. I mean, we know that stuff isn't brilliant for the environment and we should be finding better ways. So maybe, again, it will accelerate us. I, I really hope that it does. That's what we're planning for. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think... You know, it's the same with menus and that. It's an easy solution to say, look, we're going single-use menus for now. But for the longer term, as you say, we've got to have a a, a better solution. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, laminated things and, and all that will be out the window for a wee while. Yeah, or, um, um, or yeah, app. be quite interesting. Yeah, to, I mean, app-based menus. Do we just put our menus on, on the app and you QR code the app on your way in? I mean, for the restaurants, that's a possibility. That gets rid of the whole thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's been that moment. So I think people are going to be used to ordering on their phones. They're going to have found the time because they've probably got some time to hook their cards up to PayPal, Apple Pay, Google Pay, whatever. Um, and also, there's, you know, excuse my friends, there'll just be a shit scaredness that'll just make them go, uh, do I want to risk touching a menu or standing talking to someone for five minutes about, you know, how the shrimp is? Or do I just want to choose it? I think that's um, true. Being also, can you? I mean, I'm I'm the worst. I'm Michael Jackson of germophobia. Um, so if somebody came up to me with a tablet and mm. said, you know, here, I'm on this, I'd be like, get away from me. You know, do not put that near me. But it, it, people, all people are different. But I think the more you can give control to people to do it their own way, they'll you know they'll just have to get on with it, won't they? And there's some cool stuff coming through now. I mean, I, we've got um, we've got a pilot going with um, a touchscreen that you don't have to touch, so it, it works like the whole um, ridiculous Tom Cruise thing. And you know when he does that thing in Mission Impossible where he's like his hands are all over the place, a see-through screen in front of him, Aye. doing all sorts of bonkers. It turns out it's real technology. It actually exists. So we're piloting that right now. So if you could do touch screens without the touching, that kind of that leapfrogs that whole. Um, oh my gosh, it's digital, but we still got to touch it. So is that a concern for us? So I, I yeah. don't doubt that like the world of digital is going to come up with some stuff that we haven't even thought of yet. Well, and there's voice, right? So, yeah. you know, if you could just have, you know, voice activated um, and maybe some kind of, you know, option to pay at table, you know, if you can't use the app, but there's a contactless reader next to you about how much you've spent or whatever it is. Um then, you know, I think I think that would work really well. But voice is, is the one, you know, as soon as, if you could sit at a table and just go, you know, I want the Long Island iced tea and I want the bacon roll and I want the whatever, not that that would be my order, but, you know, and then and then you could just pay it all by voice and, you know, I think it would just be absolutely incredible um, for people to sort of leapfrog it that way. I think it could be really interesting. So I'm just thinking a couple other things. I need to let you go soon as well. Um I was just thinking about uh, the, the finer things in life. So Mr. Atherton and uh, Rue and all these wonderful people and Bryn, just on the finer side of things, how does that actually work then? Because is it different from running the, the, the hospitality and work venues or how, how, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, the basics of it is obviously still the same. You've got, you know, you got the food and you got the service and 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 the folks who run those 
venues are, you know, very much part of the same team that runs leisure attractions and, and the office side. So um, there's a lot of commonality. But yeah, it, it is a different world because you're at that cutting edge of working alongside people who are selling their creativity directly to consumers. Um, and it's it's almost like it's it'd be interesting to see what we make of it, isn't it, when we come back with those restaurants later in the year. But it's almost like the kind of the um, the exciting playground element to what we do. That's almost like it's kind of where the the sort of the, if you like, the high-end innovation happens. And, you know, it's more like the kind of um, the, the sort of the Willy Wonka end of life in, in terms of inventing the future of food. And, and so it, I think it's about making sure that we are really good custodians of, of, of those chefs and what it means to put those chefs' names in front of our consumers and also bring some, a load of the good stuff that they're doing into other stuff that we do. So there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes in terms of involving uh, Jason or Michelle in what happens in other sites, it, coming to see consumers in other places, getting involved in training our teams and that's an important part of it as well. I mean, I think if if I didn't have that crossover, then we might not have those restaurants. I think the beauty of it is they're lovely in their own right, but they're also a really important part of the family. And you still get a little bit excited meeting them and things like that? Or is it a bit like, ah, they're just a colleague, it's fine? No, you do. You absolutely do. I think they're magic because they can do stuff that just, I don't even know how that works. Like I just because I'm not and I'm not I'm nowhere near being a trained chef myself and I know that I don't have I don't have the underlying skills to do it I don't think I could have done it even if I'd chosen it young as a profession so I'm just in awe of people who have and indeed anyone who comes into their day job with a really finely tuned set of skills I think you have to be in awe of that I mean you know we work in other places where there's a real point to the talent that's in those workplaces. So I think about, you know, somewhere like um, Glyndebourne, where, um, you know, you, you're working in the same physical spaces as, as opera singers and stuff. I think, again, it's just that extreme end of the talent pool in a very specialist way. And yes, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking with Michelle or, or Jason or whatever, it's the same thing. I just, I, I think... It's absolutely right to be in awe of people who've got that degree of just innate talent and have developed it to that degree. And I'd also say that of chefs that are, you know, if you like, more kind of um, just directly part of the family. So David Sims, who's our culinary director, Steve Groves, who's our exec chef at um, Ruat Parliament Square. They're just phenomenally talented people and you've got to have respect for that. I think I'd be just like a total fanboy. You know, I'd just be like, oh my God, like, you know, uh, tripping over myself. I think, I think, wait, SSP years ago, I had, um, and I'm meeting with Paul Hollywood, and I was so pleased. Paul Hollywood confirmed that the proper way to say scone is scone. So I was like, right, noted. Yeah, he's definitely <laughs> right about that. He, he got that. But you know what? I'm like, I can't, I can't ask our, like our partnerships, I can't ask some technical questions because I'm so worried I'm just going to get the question wrong, let alone the answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just in terms of the, the, the people that you've got um, and, and, you know, the amazing talent, and it's a question I get a lot of the time, you know, because I'm on the brand side of things, which then, obviously bleeds into culture and is part of it. How are you recruiting and retaining and, and developing the, the talent that you have? Because it's one of the hardest battles out there right now and, and has been for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's where you kind of, you've got to look at all of the ways in which you can find talented people and all the ways we can you can develop them and, and just and try and, and try and be involved in people's development journey right the way through. It's not just about having an amazing onboarding process or this or that. You, I think you've got to touch all of the bits of the find the person, engage the person, train the person, keep the person. So um, we are definitely involved in creating our own luck in terms of um, developing talent out in the industry. So um, we've put, for example, we've um, We've been involved in working with um, Westminster Kingsway College. They've got a great um, history in supporting chefs and chef training. And we've worked with them to create a graduate apprentice program and things that haven't really 
invent so existed so much in the industry before. So we think there is a part that's creating our own luck and making sure that there are ways into this industry for talented people who want to give it a go. And then when they come inside the organization, it's it's more about how do we make sure that they've got all of the technical skills that they need, but we're also we're also developing them as people, leadership capabilities, all of the stuff that you need around you if you're going to have a sustainable career in anything, I think, um, are making sure that, quite frankly, people have every reason in the world to want to continue to be a part of the family, um, which is about the development piece. And it's also, I mean, it's also around stuff like, um, you know, mental well-being, mental welfare, um, uh, and and thinking about how you make a positive working environment for people. Um, I think we have, actually, we have probably a, quite a burden of, of mental health challenges in our industry. I think it's, you know, we have people who care very much about the work that they do. And I think that sometimes comes with a penalty in terms of people taking on an awful lot. And so just to think about how we are supporting people more generally, I think is, is a really is a really key part of that. We, we cannot and we shouldn't just assume that we're with people for the length of their shift. And then whatever they do when they're not working with us is none of our business. I, d- I don't think that's the world we're in anymore. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think it's a, a huge thing. And, um, you know, I've definitely suffered with it in the past as well. And I think when you're, you know, highly sort of driven and creative and, you know, and all these things, which, you know, chefs would be and, and you know, other people in the business would be, you know, it's, you know, the work-life balance is very, very hard to reach that, you know, and when you take away, you know, maybe part of what you do defines you as well. So for chefs right now, for them not to be working 12, 14 hour days, which they thrive on and, you know, perhaps being furloughed and all the rest of it. It's funny, I've got a, I've got a client down here and uh, <laughs> he was saying the chefs are, they're calling the chefs back in. They've started trading again. And he goes, you want to see the state of them at 9 a.m.? He says, they're sitting up to four o'clock in the morning gaming, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Sort of smoking and drinking all sorts and all the rest of it. He said, and I think it'll be a big readjustment for, for so many people going back to just, you know, work. And uh, someone mentioned in the phone to me the other day about, you know, go, having a meeting in London. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'll like, just uh, I don't think so. No, I think I'll just be staying here. But I think um, you know there's a great sort of life coach guy called Mark Pitcher, and and he'd said you know it ain't going to be that people are just going to go back to their desk and switch the light on and you know make a coffee and how was your weekend and that's going to be it. Like there's going to be quite a bed and in period for people to kind of get back into the groove, and and so many people. Will hardly even have ventured out, yeah. you know, over the past sort of almost three months it is now. Yeah. So there's going to be there's going to be quite a bit of readjustment and more so than ever appreciating how that other person is feeling and, and what they've been through. Yeah, um, is going to be a long way to 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 sort of making things better again. Yeah, and and as an industry, like you know, every everyone we work with, right, we're all focused on making the other person happy and reassured and comfortable, and to do that. You know, we need people who feel happy and reassured and comfortable themselves. And that's one hell of a thing. As you say, if if someone has spent yeah. more than a couple of miles from home for the last three months, then we can't expect that that's, as you say, you're just going to flick the light switch back on and da-da-da, off you go on the tube again. Yeah. It's going to feel yeah. more worrisome than that. So I think we've got a real responsibility to support the well-being of those who are then expected to come in and support the well-being of other people. No, you're absolutely right. Well, do you know what? I've just heard downstairs the wee one started our virtual violin lesson, so we we better wrap up sooner. You're going to be, you know, exposed to lots of torture <laughs> from an from an eight year old strangling a cat. Um, so, uh, yeah, there was a couple of final questions. Just a bit of fun. Um, we call it mark out of ten, but you don't really have to give a mark out of ten. It's just to discuss it. But it's a very very tenuous uh, feature. But um, so. Best city to eat in in the world? Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, probably a slightly controversial. I'd say New York. I just, I love the fact that there's 
loads of different cuisines there, loads of stuff happening. And so often I've eaten out in New York and it's felt like such an experience. And I love that. For me, it's still the big city. Yeah. I, I think there's a, there is, there's just something untouchable. And, and, and I think also we are spoiled in that we're probably quite used to London in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and I, I maybe take it far too much for granted, but when New York, it's, I don't know, it just seems a, a bit more magical. I think you're right. It's, I mean, it's something about it being kind of the other place, isn't it? It's sort of familiar and not familiar at the same time. But I think it, if I if I think about sort of like personal eating out experiences, I think yeah, there's something a bit other about it that I that I really like. And I think they, um, I mean, as I said, we've got associates kind of spans the Atlantic, so it, it exists over in New York as well as here. And when I go out and I spend time with um, restaurant associates, um, friends, and and colleagues over in over in New York, you get that real sense that. Um, some stuff is really shared and then there is this little little New York culture thing that's kind of edgy and a bit brash and a bit in your face and and really experience focused and um, I always enjoy that as an experience. Nice and what about best restaurant? Oh my gosh that's a real challenge because for me it's part of it is about the food but I think more than that it's just about it's about the experience of the thing and I'd say I say the the best restaurant I think I've ever been to was um it was out in um it was out in Istanbul on the shore on the Bosphorus and it was and it's just beautiful fresh turkish food and almost paired right back to almost to ingredients and nothing else and you could felt like you were tasting every single tomato that they were putting in front of you and I I think I think I'd probably go back, what, 20, 25 years to that experience. And I think I rem- it stands out so much because it was just all about the individual taste of the ingredients that were being put in front of you. And that was a real eye-opener for me in terms of what food could be. And you you couple that with being on the Bosphorus at night and, oh, my gosh, it doesn't get much better than that. So, yeah, that's that's probably – that was a bit of a turning point in my restaurant life. Nice. And what about best dish – what do you crave or what's the favourite thing you've had? Oh, my mum's cheese straws. <laughs> my dad, that. I've not had that. <laughs> yeah, you can have what you want. <laughs> okay, how can we get a hold of these? You can't. It's a, it's a past. <laughs> my mum's my not with us anymore. And me and my sister-in-law. Oh, no. an ongoing competition to recreate the bloody cheese straws and even though we've got the rest the Trying. recipe we can't do it it's impossible we think it might be something to do with the dodgy electric oven that she used and maybe it had a particular oh. effect on the outcome but honestly try as we like we can't quite achieve it so no that one's lost in the mist of time <laughs> yeah well I, I don't know maybe there is just maybe there's a bit of memory magic in there as well I suspect there is. I suspect there is. Yeah, that was the secret ingredient. Uh, I think, yeah, having it served to you as well is probably quite a big deal than, than making it for yourself. But, yeah, I'm sure you'll crack it one day. Keep trying, keep trying. Or maybe you can pass it on, you know, so maybe it's your, your you know, your kids will say, mum's cheese straws are the best, you know, <laughs> just passing it, it on down the line. Good. What about best drink? Uh, oh, um, favourite drink, Bramble. Definitely from my Diageo days, still the best, still the Ooh. best, which is um, Blackberry and... Oh, this is a cocktail. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So uh, you probably, you might well remember it. You, Diageo used to have its its HQ tucked around the back of, was it Debenhams in Henrietta Place? And they had a bar in that office that used to do the most mm. ridiculously cheap drinks of an evening. And uh, yeah, that was that was the that was the twenty somethings introduction to the bramble, which which worked out pretty nicely. Although I now realise that now I don't work for Diageo, I've got to pay more for them, which is always a shame. <laughs> and just for anyone listening, what was in it? So it was black currant, did you say? And then yeah, it's gin based. Yeah, love gin. Yeah, no, I was into gin before before it became a thing. That 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 <laughs> definitely put me you on did, the cutting did. edge. You just had an issue. Yeah, you were just a really, yeah, really down drunk. 
<laughs> okay, that's brilliant. And then I guess the, the last thing to, to ask you then was just, you know, what's next? You know, so how are you seeing the future for RE Group? How are you seeing it for yourself? You know, what what's in store? Oh, I, I think what's next is big. You know, what what's next is is pulling down this model whereby we run the restaurant and we provide the catering in the you know in the meeting rooms and and it's all in its little boxes and off we go. Um, I think that's dead and it's a much more flexible future. And so it's it's a lot of really exciting reimagining of of what that's going to look like. Um, which is yeah, it's going to be one experiment at a time. I reckon from you know from coffee right through to finding. So lots of experiments. I'm sure we're going to get some stuff wrong, um, but I think we've got we've got an industry to reinvent. So I mean, yeah, that's what I'm excited about getting on with. That's great, and you know that we sometimes you have a chat with someone and, and you feel better coming out of the conversation than, than going in. And I think you've just been super positive, and I think there's some great advice for people in here, which is, you know, experiment. You know, don't be afraid to make mistakes, and and you said we an awful lot, and I think that's definitely the way people have got to think is that look, we're we're all in this together, like without being cliched, and it's we're trying to get people back into the the process and the habit of going out and enjoying themselves again so it's a it's a social cause as, as well as a a commercial one you know oh, it totally is i mean hospitality is literally as old as the bible isn't it so this isn't going to kill us we'll we'll come back and we'll reinvent ourselves better brilliant well listen i'll let you go thank you so much for the chat and spending the time because you know i know you've got a lot on uh, but for the time being and until uh, we can properly meet up and all that stuff thanks so much alice for your time and it, you know, it was just a real pleasure talking to you oh thank you mark and take care so there you have it another great guest on the supersonic marketing podcast thanks so much for listening and telling all of your friends about the podcast we're seeing those listening numbers go up and up and up every single week thanks so much for writing into us every week and rating reviewing subscribing and sharing we really really couldn't do this without you a huge thanks also to our headline sponsor engage interactive for anything that you need digitally whether that's seo websites ppc apps crm emails any of that stuff please get in touch with alex at engage and he will definitely help you out Thanks also to our headline sponsors, BDO, who've been with us since day one, supporting us all the way through. Again, if you have any financial needs, financial queries, you need some help with your financial strategy, your mergers and acquisitions, or building your business even bigger, please get in touch with Peter at bdo.co.uk and he will help you out. Check out Peter Hemington. Him and the team will help you out toot sweet. Huge thanks also to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help in putting the podcast together. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. And I really hope that this episode has given you so much value that it will help your brand boom. Boom.